Hey everyone, David Chen here. Just a quick note to say that in this episode where we discuss the trial of the Chicago 7, uh, please just assume that we are going to be talking spoilers for the film right at the beginning of the review. So there's no spoiler section. We are just going to get into spoilers pretty early on in the review. So keep that in mind and hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I am David Chen, and with me today are Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. On today's episode of the podcast, well, we got some special announcements uh, we want to tell you about early on in the podcast. We're going to move on into some what we've been watching, follow that up with some weekly plugs, and then conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be discussing The Trial of the Chicago 7, the newest film written and directed by Mr. Aaron Sorkin. So that is what we got in store on the podcast today. Yeah, we've been li- through a dry spell, Dave, on on movies. And it looks like, uh, you know, the rains are a-coming. When it rains, it pours. So for the last few weeks, it's been actually quite a struggle to figure out what we're going to be reviewing. And starting this week, today, this episode, it's there's tons of movies coming out. Like, so many that we're going to have difficulty actually covering them all. Uh, so yeah, uh, feel free to continue to use hashtag slash tag to let us know what you'd like us to cover, what you think we should keep an eye out for. Um, but it, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to choose one movie per week. Champagne we went problems. From, we got yeah. champagne problems all of a sudden. <laughs> you know what? One of my favorite lines in movies is, is that you'd appreciate Jeff Kanata is, uh, the 25th hour Edward Norton, Spike Lee movie. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, champagne for my real friends. Real, real pain for my sham friends. That's what he wants. Ah, it's pretty good. That's yeah. a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one. So anyway, uh, before we get to any of that today, which one am I? Which category am I in? We have some. <laughs> That's a mystery. Big, it's okay. <laughs> we have some big news, folks, and we talked about this a little bit on last week's episode of the podcast. Uh, but we are launching a Patreon. Whee! Yay! Woo! We're launching a Patreon. It only page. took us 15 years <laughs> at patreon.com slash film podcast. That's patreon.com slash and then the word film podcast or yes. words film podcast. The words, the, the character slash and the words film podcast. <laughs> the words. How about that? It film couldn't podcast. be simpler. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we kind of joked around about this a little bit last week, but this is a real thing. We're actually launching this. Uh, why are we launching a Patreon? Why now? Why Patreon now during what is arguably one of the most unstable times in you know <laughs> the history of American society? Um, so here here's some of the rationale for why we're launching a Patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast. Because is, much like comedy, we are masters of timing. Timing. <laughs> Finishing each other's <laughs> sandwiches. Sandwiches, exactly right. So, uh, I, we had talked about doing this for a while, and I uh, wasn't super familiar with the Patreon platform. But I launched my own Patreon recently, a patreon.com slash Dave Chen. I spent some time kind of using the different features and seeing what's possible, and I really felt like, hey, I, I, I think like 
we can do this in a way that is sustainable for us, produces bonus content for folks, and that actually provides some value for people who are willing to back us, right? And once we like figured out a way to do that, uh, uh, we're like, let's 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 do this thing. Let's let's let the dogs rip on this at patreoncom podcast. So basically, it's extremely simple. There's two tiers at patreoncom podcast. Uh, one of them is for ad-free episodes, which actually, by the way, Jeff, I've heard from some people they actually don't want because your your ad reads are so yeah, delightful. People want the ads. People yeah. want the ads. Okay, so one, two <laughs> you things. You put us in a horrible catch-22, Jeff. Two things about that. First, first thing is <laughs> there's a Manscaped ad this week, so uh-huh. buckle up, buckle yep. up. Uh, yep. Second thing is just because you support us at the no ad level doesn't mm. mean... You don't have to listen to the the show with the ads. We're still going to be putting out the show with the ads for free for everyone in the regular RSS. So, so true. So true. Support the show. Feel good. Make us happy. And also listen to uh, the ads if you want to hear me <laughs> say the word dong for some reason. <laughs> and use all those affiliate codes. It, it helps. Indeed. Everything Indeed. helps. So uh, that's one level is, uh, and actually uh, the the names of the tiers, it was a collaborative effort for these names, right? So if you are a, uh, what is it? Um, I'm actually trying to pull up the page right now and it's not working because I'm logged in. So let me try going to It's just, It's going so well. We've yeah, destroyed so watcher, the Patreon website. That's if you are happening. a watcher, you know, uh, you get ad-free episodes of the Slash Homecast. We um, thought... Uh, what we thought? What better term for someone listening to the show yeah, than, than watcher. watcher? Correct, hundred percent right. Because <laughs> we are Jeff, geniuses. That, that is a deep cut. Okay, <laughs> I know the history of the podcast is our first name was the Watchers Podcast. I think that's pretty great. It's, it's pretty what great. we do. Yeah. If you are a good sitter, which is the next uh, tier, uh, then you get the Slash Homecast After Dark. Now, new listeners may not be aware that a long time ago, we used to make a second episode every week of the podcast. Can you can you believe we once had the time to make a second episode every week? It's podcasting well, we do left again. and right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, people really enjoyed the After Darks. It's basically just us kind of sitting around talking about stuff that di- we didn't have time to get to in the show. And it wasn't necessarily movie related. It could have been life related. In fact, I'm pretty sure that it was during an After Dark that... Uh, terms like good sit or money yep, horse were yep. like first coin is like it's really it's where the when real genius happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. the show is pretty much garbage, but the after darks, <laughs> woo, choice. Well, that, that was what was so kind of both gratifying and incredibly demoralizing is we would put a, a decent amount of work into the regular show and then we would put basically zero work into the after dark and everyone would consistently say yeah. they enjoyed the after dark episodes more it's sort of, it's sort of like when you have a problem and your conscious mind you know can't fix it so you have to let your subconscious mind do it and the after dark is just us just working through all our all our shit <laughs> all our shit <laughs> yeah so Boy, people are like yeah, so well done yeah, yeah, yeah yeah no you're selling it you're selling it to me um but people, yeah, people would be like, these After Darks are amazing. And I'd say, well, that was, you mean the part we put no work into? Okay. In any case, those episodes are now back uh, at our tier of good sitter. Yeah. Uh, so but, if but you want. Like Brad Pitt in, uh, what, what was the assassin movie? The we assassination said, of Jesse James by the no, coward Robert Ford? No, the other one. The, the uh, killing, killing me softly. Killing them softly. Like Brad Pitt killing and killing softly. me softly. We said, this is America, baby. 
Mr. and Mrs. Smith? <laughs> for the after. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, Brad Pitt has been an assassin. Actually, no, he the has. assassination, he was... He uh, was Jesse assassinated. James. He was he assassinated was in that movie. He assassinated. Spoiler. Yeah. D. Spoiler, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, actually, Devinger, I think you're actually talking about the next tier uh, that yes. we have, which is the money horse tier. Yeah, um, the best yeah. tier. The the best tier of the money horse, which comes with, at this moment, no additional benefits whatsoever, other than the knowledge yeah. that the you title. are the, uh, the title of money horse. See, here's right. the thing, folks. Yes. What's the thing, Jeff? We've been looking for a money horse in this whole shindig for a long time, and we had it all wrong. See, you want yourself a money horse because the money horse is where you get that that real uh, revenue stream, right? You get the, you are, gotta, you, are you, you tapping get, your vein right now? Is that that sound? That was me snapping, snapping my fingers. Oh, snapping, okay. I thought you were tapping your vein like we're injecting money into your vein. Either way works. Also that. Yeah, also the tapping of the vein thing that you were talking about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, you 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 hit your horse, right, yeah. to the money horse. You hit your yeah. wagon, that is, to the money horse. <laughs> and then the money horse just keeps on a truck and you got to find yourself yeah. a money horse. But see, we had it all wrong, see? We had it all wrong because you don't just want one money horse. You want a team of money horses. Money and horses? That that was when we that was when it all the clicked. true genius. And I <laughs> think just like just like Steven Spielberg's Money Horse, you gain nothing, you know, from it, but it sure is pretty and expensive looking. <laughs> it's so I, I think satisfying. You're talking, I think you're talking about War Horse, Devendra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. War Horse, War Horse. But same deal. <laughs> that that is that is the the inspiration <laughs> of Money Horse was War Horse. Mm, mm. Uh, I guess, I guess. In yeah. any case, uh, as of this moment, by the way. 12 money horses. 12 money wow. horses. Wow. Yeah. yeah. See what I said about the team of money horses? And you know what? Call call me call me a dreamer. But I think that number can go up. <laughs> what is a team of money horses called? We need a new. Mm. Yeah. A murder money, of money horses. A money, a money stable is what that is. A, a, a money murder stable. of money horses. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, a flock of money horses. So uh okay. So uh, if you back us at uh, you know the the watcher tier, you get ad free episodes of the slash filmcast. You back us a good sitter, money horse, you get three bonus after dark episodes per month. And I'm pleased to announce that our first bonus episode uh, is going to be recorded and released today. Uh, and uh, it's going to be about the West Wing uh, reunion on HBO Max, plus a bunch of other things. So, and whatever else we happen to spew out of our subconscious. Whatever, whatever else. Whatever else. Now. I do also want to say the flip side of this, uh, which is, yes, this is a great way to support us and help make the podcast economically sustainable for the long term. And it is an experiment. You know, we'll see how many people actually back us and we'll see, you know, whether there's enough people to, like, uh, make it worth it for us to keep doing these extra episodes. You know, we'd love to keep doing them. Uh, And we'll see how it goes. It's kind of an experiment. Um, But I also, like, on the flip side, I felt like COVID represented, in some ways, an existential threat to the podcast. Because I don't know if you guys know about this. Not just we're the world, pod- but the podcast. We're, yeah. we're a podcast founded on reviewing new movies every week. <laughs> that mm. was really the raison d'etre yeah. of the mm. podcast. As I a said. podcast based on a functioning society where movies come <laughs> in, out. Where movies come <laughs> out regularly. in theaters every week. Yeah. And so, that yeah. Was like it's a, our buggy whip podcast that we've been into so long. Look, these buggy whips can never go wrong. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's new movies haven't really come out very often in the last six to eight months and it's unclear whether whether they will come back again um and so this is kind of a way also this patron is kind of a way to insulate ourselves a little bit from 
whatever might happen in the next year or two. Um, so I, I do want to just acknowledge that reality as well. Sure. Um, so super grateful to everyone who's already pitched in. And of course, you know, never pitch in if it is in any way a hardship. Um, but this is kind of a way for us to deliver bonus content, make the show economically sustainable and kind of connect with you in a different way. Uh, and also people like often back other podcasts through Patreon. So this is a way for people to kind of keep all their all their backers in one place. Oh, I love it. I love it. The, the thing I love about Patreon is I have like a collection of just little uh, like creators that I'm helping yep. to grow and it feels good to see my collection and see people produce good stuff. So I, uh, I'm i happy to be part of that for people. Those are human beings, Devendra. No, Jeff, they're they're in my Patreon app and they live <laughs> not, to serve me. They're not your collection to be toyed with. <laughs> All right. So wow. <laughs> uh, also, I want to give a few details about how this is going to work exactly. So one of the reasons it took us a while to move over to Patreon is that um, there's a bunch of people who donated to us on PayPal, who set up like recurring PayPal donations. Which we are and, super grateful for. Thank you. Super yes. Great. And when, when we started this podcast and started accepting PayPal donations... Patreon did not exist. Yeah. There was no it, way it to turns deliver. Out a little company, a l- tiny, tiny, small company like PayPal um, could not figure out the Patreon model before <laughs> Patreon. You know, they just, they just like, hey, people, th- throw money to the people you love. That's it. That's the end of it. So, hey, so, it's great. I love it. Yeah. So it, it didn't exist at the time. So, like, we couldn't figure out a way to, like, and and, and honestly, I didn't want to, to, like, go through the pain of transfer like asking people to transfer over and also like there are people who donate to this podcast every week which by the way was also not something that i predicted i was like (laughs) maybe once every like three months we'll get like one donation and people are donating every single week and i didn't want people who just donated like we have people who just donated this week i didn't want people who just donated to feel like oh man like you guys screwed me over because i just donated and now you're launching the patreon i could have used the money for the patreon instead so in order to kind of make up for that, what we're doing is we're going to give away all the After Darks uh, uh, for free on the main feed through the rest of the year. Um, so the, the After Darks will show up on the main feed. They will show up later than you will get them on the Patreon. Um, but they will show up on the main feed just as a gesture of goodwill for all the people who've been donating to us via PayPal for all the last 13 years. This is just a tiny, 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 teensy, tiny gesture to say thank you for that. Sorry that we're asking you to go through this pain of like transferring over to the new Patreon feed, but we really appreciate you you putting in the work to do this. Um, people who are subscribing at the rate of a couple of dollars per month, you, you know, uh, a decent way to do this. You can continue doing that if you, you want. We're not going to turn that away, but uh, you're welcome to cancel it and move that over to Patreon. We'd love it if you did that. And then you can start getting these rewards if you, if you uh, back us at one of the levels. So... Uh, wanted to call that out. That yeah. We so are ge- yeah. Just to reiterate, just to be super clear, yeah. uh, these extra bonus After Dark episodes that we are going to start doing as of tonight will be available for all, for anyone, uh, patron or not, through the end of the year in our main feed. Uh, patrons who sign up at the uh, good sit level and above will get those early. You'll get those earlier than in the main feed. And then after the first of the year, we will switch that over to just patrons at the good sit level or higher will receive the 
After the, Dark yeah. episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That's correct. And on that note, um, we won't start re- really record. We, we're recording After Dark tonight because we have to to kick the feed off, but we won't start putting these episodes out until November because no one will be charged for any patronage until November 1st. So just FYI, November is when these feeds are really going to fire up and start updating in advance. Sorry, it's a little bit confusing. This is exactly why I didn't want to do it. But, you know, <laughs> you got to rip the Band-Aid off and you we're do ripping it the Band-Aid off. You yeah. know, we're, so we're doing it. So uh, so again, yeah, as Jeff said, to recap, um, we're giving away the After Darks for free through the rest of the year. The After Darks won't start until November. And starting in January of 2021, um, the After Darks will be exclusive to Patreon. So... And thank you to everybody who has already signed up at Patreon. We sort of just sort of jokingly last week mentioned it, and already we have hundreds of people who uh, stepped up to the plate and supported us, which feels amazing. This is our official kickoff of the Patreon. So uh, all of you uh, who who are waiting for that official word, consider it done. You can now (laughs) rush over to patreon.com slash film podcast. Film podcast, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sign up! Sign up. Sign up. A couple of other things I want to mention. Um, one is that a couple of people have asked about annual subscriptions. Uh, the Patreon recently did announce that they are give, they are allowing pages to have annual subscriptions. So if you if you prefer to like pay for a whole year, possibly at a discount, um, that is coming at some point in the future. But uh, I think we need to have been Patreon, a pay, like have a Patreon page for a couple months and right. like have processed some payments before they'll allow us to do it. So we don't have annual pay- subscriptions right now, but it probably will be coming at some point in the future. Um, I wouldn't hold out uh, mm-hmm. until then just because I don't know when it's going to come. But uh, just as FYI, it's something yeah. we, we do plan to introduce at some point. I, so, I think it's also worth making clear. This is, uh, this is all a work in progress too. This is an evolving thing based on you know, how people respond to it. And there could be more stuff coming if uh, if it turns out people really want us. You know, do you yeah, guys like us? Yeah. I don't know. If it turns out you really like us. Um, but yeah, I, I, that said, um, uh, we have put quite a bit of thought into what the existing rewards are. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things we left out of the existing rewards because like this is what is here is what we feel like we can reasonably achieve. Uh, and so... Definitely open to people's suggestions on the Patreon page or at slash filmcast.gmail.com. But I, we've already evaluated things like releasing an old feed of all the old episodes or like um, doing a monthly hangout, things like that. Like we, we decided not to do those things very specifically um, in favor of what we have here. But again, always open to your suggestions. So um, slash filmcast.gmail.com. We do think we can execute what is here and maybe more in the future. But this is a good starting point for us. Final thing I want to bring up is for the last 13 years, we have accepted one-time donations via PayPal, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, We are going to continue doing that as a way to make a one-time donation if you want to do a one-time donation for no reward whatsoever. Um, I'm not saying I would do that if I were you, (laughs) but I do want (laughs) to leave it open as an option. And I think that basically the way it's going to work for now is... The people who want to do shout outs on the air, you can do that via PayPal um, at paypal.me slash filmcast or through the other means. Um, uh, shouting out is not a, a reward f- at, uh, on the Patreon right now. Maybe it will be in the future. But for now, the PayPal one time donations will be the way to get the shout out. So um, that's kind of how we thought of it for now. Uh, again, that might change, but that's kind of where we are right now. So 
I know that was very cumbersome and very exposition heavy, but you know, um, the, it's the exposition... kind of thing you can expect from uh, the new version of the show: cumbersome <laughs> and exposition heavy. Yeah, and uh, you get to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, I want to close again by saying. Um, thank you to everyone for your support of this podcast through the years, whether it's through donations, whether it's through leaving a star rating for us on Apple Podcasts, or uh, telling someone else about the show, you know, uh, tweeting about the show. Uh, your support has brought us to this point. We are trying to see whether we can set the show up for success and sustainability long into the future. And this Patreon page is uh, one way of doing that. So thank you to everyone who supported us in the past. Thank you to everyone who's already contributed to the Patreon. It really, really means a lot. And we hope really that you're happy with uh, the cool After Dark stuff we're able to come out with. We're, we're going to be able to experiment with some more shit now. And uh, I'm excited about that, actually. So, yeah. uh, again, patreon.com slash film podcast. That's patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, bonus episodes will start in earnest in November, although we will be doing an After Dark tonight just to kick the feet off. Get us going in style. Hey, folks, let me jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Fubo. Are you sick of cable? Yeah, we watch lots of stuff on this show. We're all about the watching, but man, cable can be a pain. That is why Fubo TV exists for live sports, news, and primetime TV without the complicated contract. So many people love watching TV, but man, they're so frustrated with their cable company. I know I am. I cut my cable a long time ago. Maybe it's time for you to finally cut the cord with Fubo TV. You can pay less money for more channels without the set-top box. Who needs that? The monthly cost of cable can be over $200. Fubo TV is 65 bucks a month to watch the same channels, and you don't pay for DVR or an installation. This is how you should be watching TV. Fubo TV. You get everything you want all in one place for less than the cost of cable. You get over 100 channels with Fubo TV plus cloud DVR and no hidden fees. Stream your shows on your TV or any other smart device. They have all of the major broadcast and cable networks so you can find all your shows, including live sports, news, and primetime TV. You get all your favorites like This Is Us, The Bachelor, The Premier League, and the NBA, all the news channels, and so much more. And there's no risk to try it out. You get full access to Fubo TV for seven days for free. And right now, Fubo TV is offering our listeners the seven-day free trial and 15% off your first month by going to FuboTV.com slash Filmcast. There are no contracts and you can cancel at any time. So go to FuboTV.com slash Filmcast for 15% off your first month and a free trial. That's F-U-B-O-T-V.com slash the word Filmcast. All right, let's move on and get to what we've been watching this week. Devinder, why don't you kick us off? I've been talking for a while. Yeah, well, I checked out a movie called The 40-Year-Old Version on Netflix. Not The 40-Year-Old Virgin, the Steve Carell movie. This is a movie um, which I kind of love the title. It's just so clever because of that. Uh, directed and written by Rada Blank and starring her as well as a playwright in New York who is, you know, 40 something, somebody who the people, the media business, you know, the, the theater business used to talk about, um, somebody who had potential, somebody who was on the 30 under 30 list, you know, um, and now she is 
40 and not as successful as she'd like and just kind of facing a life crisis. This is a movie exploring that and also different ways for her to kind of use her skills. She kind of uh, realizes, you know, she can also write prose for, for rap. She can turn her prose into hip hop in a way. And uh, I, you know, don't roll your eyes at this as like another Hamilton thing, because I think it really uses this conceit in a lot of ways. And I believe this is also what Rada Blank did in real life too. So this was a way for her to re-energize herself creatively and, uh, you know, just kind of find her own groove again. I think this movie is brilliant. It is just fantastic. It is. It reminds me of like, um, I feel like it's harkening back to the old Woody Allen stuff because it is, it's in black and white. It's set in New York. It's really all about everyday New York for people in, you know, I don't know, in the theater business, because there's a lot of insider stuff there. But she also teaches in the New York City school. So she's dealing with kids who are, you know, still very much teenagers trying to figure out their own ways to be creative and to write plays. And she finds herself in like, yeah, the rap battle scene and the underground hip hop scene in Brooklyn and throughout New York. It's all really fun and interesting. I think it's just really, really funny. This movie felt so refreshing in a way. And maybe it's just because... I am missing New York very hard these days. Um, you know, as as quiet and chill as my little Georgia suburb is, it's not New York. It doesn't have the vibrancy of it. And I think this movie is just like filled with all of that. So if you're looking for something funny and interesting and just, uh, you know, just like energetic in a way I, I haven't felt from a lot of indie movies lately, check this one out. It's a 40-year-old version. It's on uh, Netflix right now, uh, landed October 9th. Yeah, uh, that's the 40-year-old version on Netflix. I'm uh, really excited about this. I'd heard great things about it. And so, so I'm looking yeah. forward to checking it out. Um, so that's what Devinder Hardware has been watching. Jeff Kanata, how about you? What have you been watching this week? Well, I, I, uh, I've been watching over a period of time now, ever since, honestly, the Emmys. I returned for the third time to Schitt's Creek. A number of friends and strangers alike have suggested that I watch Schitt's Creek. Mm -hmm. And I think all the Emmys, all the Emmys really suggested it too. All the Emmys, they were the thing that kind of pushed me over the top, uh, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) And (laughs) screw what your friends say. The Emmys on a quantum (laughs) level all suggested it as well. Yes, exactly. I mean, it was, it was a pretty overwhelming Emmy night for that show. Um, but I had, I had tried this show before I had taken the advice of friends and family members, uh, and strangers. <laughs> and I had, my wife and I had sat down and we had watched maybe two episodes, three episodes yeah. tops. And that first uh, season tw- is rough. It is super it, rough. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was one of these shows where, boy, these people are despicable. And I don't know if I want to hang out with these folks, uh, this long, it, it, the, 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 especially in the first few episodes, a lot of the jokes are just mean and that's fine. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of humor to be found in that stuff. And I, I have enjoyed shows like that before, but it just didn't sit with me. My wife and I both were like, I just don't want to hang out with these people. I don't want to be around these people. Uh, despite how much we enjoyed some of the actors in other things. Um, but I made a concerted effort to return to the show and give it a third shot. And now I have gotten all the way past the end of season one and I do have affection for this show. Um, I'm into season two now, and uh, I have had a number of moments where I am doubled over laughing so hard 
most of them delivered via Catherine O'Hara, who is a genius on a level that I you rarely see. She is pure genius, tr- truly a comedic superstar. Uh, and there are some moments, particularly in season one, there's a moment where she she records a a commercial for a winery, and there are a number of different takes where she has difficulty saying the words that she needs to say. And the way that she does that is so unlike anything I've ever seen. It's a gag that's not original, right? The original, the, the, the person, the overconfident person having difficulty doing something simple is not a, not a new comedic trope, but she does it in such a way that is so different and so hilarious. I hurt myself laughing at that. Uh, and there are a number of other ones. I, I give the show a lot of credit. There is a, a character that Chris Elliott plays uh, who is related to the titular shit from Shit's Creek. You know, this is a place called Shit's Creek, and it is named thus because uh, someone named Shit founded the town uh, hundreds of years ago. And the uh, the descendant of that person is played by Chris Elliott. And I, I mean, the, the show, maybe I'm just, (laughs) maybe I'm just oblivious or I wasn't paying attention or maybe everybody caught this way earlier than me, but I loved how the show slow rolled his name because I think episode 12 or something, they're in his house and the phone rings and he picks it up and he goes, rolling shit. (laughs) And I realized the whole time they'd been calling him Roland his name is Roland Shit. And I was like, God, kudos, show. Kudos on the slow play of the name. So well done. That, that's uh, all that's all they had to do for you, Jeff. Is, that's uh, all they had to do. Like that, you're a simple, you're a simple man yeah. with simple pleasure. Yeah. I'm a simple man. They called him Roland the whole time. I knew his name, but they'd never said it together until like many episodes into season one where he answers the phone and I was like, his name is Roland Shit. Oh, it's so good. It's um, so good. Sorry, anyway. can you? Sorry, I'm, I I feel like I'm missing something here. What is the pun exactly, Jeff? <laughs> Rolling shit, roll in shit. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. the, the 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 D the Roland threw me off. I was like, right, rolling a... shit, but yeah. it sounds the, like the you're D saying roll in shit. Yeah, you're, it sounds like you're saying rolling shit. Because yeah, uh, yeah. I'm if I say rolling shit or rolling shit, it's his name should have been rolling. So, that so would have been too fucking uh, puns work, Dave. They're, they're I'm explaining puns like to Jeff, you. They're, they're playing by Jeff Limerick rules, basically. Oh, wow! How dare you? How dare you? I'm going to pr- win Emmys eventually, right? I am a hey. yes. Thank you. By that logic, thank you, Javindra. <laughs> yeah. I am a professional poet. How dare you? By ev- by the every definition, I am a professional poet. <laughs> Anyway, um, I love Catherine O'Hara. Uh, I think Eugene Levy and Dan Levy and um, uh, Annie Murphy, I guess. Yeah, Annie Murphy is the, I didn't know her name before, but she's great too. I think all of them are really good, um, the, the core family. And I did, over the course of the first season, warm to them. And they grow, right? They, they, they humanize. They become uh, less unlikable uh, over the course of season one. You know, and I also think that I, I've long held a theory that people are like, well, you just have to get through the first season of something. And I always feel like, you know what? If you spend that many hours with anything, y- you will like it, right? There's no, there's nothing where you're like, if I just watch a whole season of something, 
you'd be like, no, this is still terrible. It's like, no, no, you, you, you acclimate to it. You know, you, you actually, you become... I, I have a really good counter example to that yeah, in yeah. this episode that we're, I'm the exact about. opposite of that yeah. in every yep. way, but yep. yeah, well, you guys keep watching things you hate and I don't understand that, yeah. but anyway, no, no, I, I will give up on a show, but also say like, you know, Hey, I, I'm, I, I've stopped shows because of that. And I actually stopped watching lost when it got really dumb, you know, pretty much halfway through because of that. So, you know, it's, it's a give and take, but this seems like, let me just say like this show does the rare thing of making a complete turnaround. And that doesn't always happen because oftentimes a show will have a rough start. Right. And it, 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 yeah, it takes a while to find some footing, but even the footing isn't you know good enough to be really watchable or interesting. I think halt and catch fire is the last show I can think of that, made a turnaround from being not so great, like a not so great Mad Men thing, to being one of the best goddamn shows on TV. And this show somehow pulled that off, too. Well, I I will. I don't know if I'm willing to go Shit's Creek is one of the best goddamn things on TV. I, I still, I mean, again, I'm only in season two. Uh, there's more to watch, and I will stick with it. I'm enjoying this show a lot. I don't think it's a Parks and Rec or a right, 30 right, Rock right. or a, you know, it's not... Uh, you know, it's not a happy endings or cougar town for me. It's not, it's not like the, it's not shows even a good place, I, like in terms of right, what it's doing. Yeah. Right. It, I th- I find it to be uh very funny and smart and well-made, but it, it hasn't sort of cracked that next level for me of, I, I wouldn't be one of those people who is like, you have to watch Shit's Creek. Oh my God. Uh, I do say that about Dave or uh, Ted Lasso or, you know, there, there are shows that I feel that kind of intensity about like, Oh, you, you, Oh, you have to watch these shows. Um, Schitt's Creek has not reached that level. Maybe it'll still gain in my esteem as I continue through it, but I'm definitely continuing to watch it and enjoying it. All right. Well, that's Schitt's Creek. How are you watching it, Jeff? It's on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a Netflix Uh, show, but it it is the way everybody has watched Schitt's Creek. It's kind of funny. I'm going to give a little teaser for the After Dark episode we're recording that patrons uh, patrons are going to get tonight, uh, which is uh, last week, Jeff tweeted the following. The West Wing staged reading on HBO Max is the single greatest thing I've watched all year. Absolutely <laughs> essential viewing. It is everything I love about drama and heart and civic duty. It's inspiring and magical and nostalgic and stirs my soul to a time when the world wasn't a fire. Uh, so Jeff tweeted that. Then he texted me in Devendra. He's like, this thing is incredible. So I said, you know what, Davindra and I, we're both going to watch this thing. Let's talk about it in the after dark. So we both, Davindra and I, both watched the West Wing uh, reunion along with Jeff Kanata, and we will be discussing it in today's After Dark, which is the first one of these After Darks we've had in a while. So again, excited Patre- to talk about that with you guys. Thank you for watching it. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, patrons will get that at Patreon.com/slash/filmpodcast tonight. Um, and the other thing I want to mention before we move on is <clears throat> Jeff. Uh, said just now seemingly jokingly but maybe not <laughs> that he fits every definition of the professional poet we did get this email from bobby that i need to read oh. on there's no joking dude there's no joking with that i'm a professional poet yes he he's getting paid for it it's great that's Sub- the definition subject line well okay jeff sorry so, so, first of all jeff sorry i was just trying to in case Do anyone in the audience thought Jeff's you were joking. cameo clout okay in, yeah in case <laughs> in case someone in the audience thought you were joking i wanted to correct that misconception okay man you um, know what dave if you understood how much Danish Syed told me that I should Mm. do this. Mm. If if you understood the motivation that, you know, it took to get me to become a professional poet, 
I don't think if he only somebody believed it. in Jeff. If only somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's all I needed was some friend to believe in me. Mm. So Bobby uh, L writes into slashfilmcast.gmail.com with uh, the following subject line: Browning, Dickinson, Shakespeare, Canada? Question mark. <laughs> oh, I'm already in love with this. Bobby writes in: I'm a high school teacher. Uh, a high school English teacher in Columbus, Ohio, and I think you three, specifically one of you, will find this exciting. We're still fully digital at this point of the semester, which is probably best considering Ohio just set its record number of daily cases uh, both of the past two days. Digital learning has been interesting, to say the least, especially as a creative writing teacher without as much face-to-face workshop time with the kids, but it's opened the door to some interesting lesson opportunities. Regardless, I've been creating and recording weekly videos covering different types of poems for the students to explore and play around with. I've talked dramatic monologues of the poems of Robert Browning, meaning a metaphor with Dickinson. Sonnets are on the docket with Shakespeare. And just last week, I had another poetic form to cover, the limerick. I thought, whose poems could I use that would be as entertaining, understandable, and fit the form of the limerick better than those of our own Jeff Kanata? I like how, by the way, Bobby says, our own Jeff Kanata. Like... You belong to the world now, Jeff. Um, (laughs) Not to mention, I teach at an art school with a ton of film fans that are also in my media studies class. Talk about a win-win. I typed up and played clips from the episodes with the limericks on Endgame, Men in Black International, shit movie, but Jeff's limerick fit the form really well. And all three of the Hamilton limericks, boy, did those get a positive reaction. Lots of huge theater fans at school. I marked the limericks all up, showing the syllable counts and rhymes and how they fit the pattern. Needless to say, I received a ton of really cool and inspired limericks this past week after that listen. Much of that thanks to Jeff and his constant enthusiasm for this fun little form, and Dave for his relentless, merciless, ruthless iron fist. Mm. Some of them even wanted more examples from Jeff. I don't think you can get any more professional than selling these, of which I'm going to need to buy one soon, and having them taught in a real classroom alongside these other titans. Thanks again for helping to keep me and all of your other listeners sane throughout all of this. It's really great to always have this constant. I started listening to this as a high schooler, not knowing what the hell I wanted to do with my life, consistently listened through the college and grad school years that had multiple major changes, and here we are in my second year of teaching, getting to use the podcast in my lessons. Pretty neat. Stay safe, everyone. Bobby. Well, I'm framing that email on my wall, uh, and I will forward it to my mom and my wife. Uh, and maybe to you, Dave, maybe you need to read that periodically. I think uh, I actually just did read it just on the air just now. That's true. That's a good point. Um, <laughs> wow. That's that's extremely flattering and amazing. Uh, well, you know, you started by deriding my rhyme scheme by saying Roland shit is is like a, you know, a, a version of my thing. Um, uh, for, first of all, you know, I don't think you fully understand what I was trying to say, Jeff, which is this is a this is a pun that plays a little bit fast and loose with the rules. Which is right. kind of how I feel about your limericks. Not saying no, that's necessarily but, a bad thing. And a freaking English teacher just told me that my limericks are exactly the perfect exemplar of the rules. Yeah, I mean, there you, you know, go. I question QED. it. I question QED, it. David. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I want to say uh, a couple of things. Firstly, uh, I want to thank the academy. <laughs> no. Um, uh, <laughs> this is uh this, this this is amazing email and i'm so uh so grateful for that uh also want to say uh cameo.com slash jeff canada if you would like a, a, a limerick of your own bespoke made specifically for you uh and um yeah you know uh the limerick is the is the people's the the people's poem you know 
<laughs> it doesn't take just because I'm it's a, a professional. Poem of the masses. It it's is a poem of the just masses. because I'm a professional doesn't mean it's out of reach for every listener. You know, let us all limerick. The limerick belongs to all. Yeah. Like what is that phrase? What is the phrase? You don't need to be smart to enjoy a limerick, but you're dumb if you don't, or something like that. <laughs> I haven't heard that. But that's good. I, I think like that. uh, no, I don't. That's not actually a phrase. Um, but uh, I'm glad that people are enjoying your limericks. Also, really striking about that email, Jeff, is the fact that you know we often comment about the fact that like people have gone through all these life phases while listening to the podcast. Meanwhile, mm. we're still here doing the podcast. Yeah, yeah. this yeah, guy yeah. has gone through multiple majors gone to college um basically had his entire life flash before his eyes or mm. or you know had, had major breakthroughs eyes. had major yeah. breakthroughs you know what i mean yeah 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 and we're uh, still waiting on those we're still we're still here on we on the, uh, on the slash we figured out a, a patreon page that's what we figured out <laughs> yeah patreon.com slash film podcast that's right yeah so that's what we've done <laughs> Also, I'm I'm now uh, you know synonymous with Shakespeare and Dickinson. So there you, you know, go. This this is a question of like, what does one need? Like, I I understand. I'm not saying you're not a professional poet, but I'm saying like because you would be factually incorrect if you said that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm saying like, how does one become like what, what if one is to become a poet? Like what what does one use as the bar for whether they are a professional one, you know, grant well, money. Grant, yeah, is it is it grant money? Is it they they're published? Like, is it they're making lots of money from it? As you are, well, you're the definition in... the definition of of professional is that you are paid for services yeah. rendered. That's you, you the definition the of professional, and you get paid for it. Yeah, seems pretty simple. So, I so, yeah. I, yeah. So, I guess like you must make poet a poetry that is a that has some kind of mass appeal. Is what you're saying? No, I'm in saying you have to get paid money to do it well also that's, and i'll say this a textbook. lot of people create art and don't don't actually get paid for it and i, I don't want to devalue that either i, I think like, no, it's it not is devalued it's it. just yeah, by yeah. definition amateur yeah. and yes. amateur has is, is a is a pejorative for some but it but if you're using the the definition of it definition is you are not paid to do it and the definition of a professional is that you are paid to do it. that's the dictionary so I don't i don't say you know if i'm an amateur a lot of things that i still take a lot of pride in and and enjoy i'm not i'm not saying being an amateur anything is a bad thing but uh i'm saying by the literal definition of professional i'm a poet baby you're you're a poet <laughs> and we didn't even know it oh <laughs> mm -hmm. whoa 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 whoa! i gotta jump in here i gotta jump in here because we have a new product alert from our sponsor that's right manscaped the new manscaped product i i just i gotta announce it it's the just-released Weed Whacker, the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. What I want you to do is I want you to go to the mirror right now and take a look at your face holes. That's right, your nose, your ear, the holes in your face that aren't your mouth. I'm guessing you're going to see some hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your down-low area. That's why we got the weed whacker. I am not a fan of hair in my nose or ears. Man, ear hair is the worst. 
I have, I have to admit, I have uh, reached up and felt weird hair in my ears before. No longer. Why? I got that weed whacker. Manscaped is forever changing that grooming game with that weed whacker. This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe TM technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs on your delicate face holes. Do not use in your mouth. The premium Manscaped Weed Whacker uses a 9,000 RPM motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. Now, you do not want to dip below 9,000 RPMs on your motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade systems. You do not. That is just not recommended. Luckily, the Weed Whacker stays above that 9,000 RPMs on the motor-powered 360-degree rotary dual-blade system. It is intelligently contoured and enhances the trimming experience and is waterproof, which makes it easy for you to just get all up in your face holes during a shower or a cleaning. Easy operation, easy cleaning of the weed whacker itself. It's the only nose hair trimmer on the market with a powerful and rechargeable lithium ion battery that lasts up to 90 minutes of use. Have you ever pulled, have you ever pulled hair out of your face holes? Have you ever tried to grasp a hair with your fingers in your ear or on your nose? It's its ridiculous. It might hurt worse than nicking your down low area. Manscaped is making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to delivering maximum confidence while providing hygiene. And you will get a replacement blade every three months to keep your weed whacking time clean and enjoyable. Look, fellas, 79% of partners polled by Manscaped, admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. You don't want that long nose hair. It's time to upgrade your Manscaped routine with the Weed Whacker. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMCAST at manscaped.com. Thank you, Manscaped, for keeping our down low area trimmed and the hairs in our face holes looking nice. So for 20% off and free shipping with the code FILMCAST at manscaped.com, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and the code FILMCAST. What are you waiting for? Go whack your weeds. All right, let's move on to what I've been watching. I'll mention a couple things. I watched a movie called American Murder, The Family Next Door. Have you guys heard of this movie? Of course you watched that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Another feel-good David Chen of story. Of course. I mean, if I had to bet money on what you were about to bring up, it would be American Murder. <laughs> so These are the late-night never... texts we get from Dave, by the way. Is you up? What's up? <laughs> American Murder, The Family Next Door. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I assume you guys are never going to watch this so I can tell you about the movie, yes? I know, yeah. I know about it. I'm probably going to see it at some point, but yeah. Okay, well... This is very so on brand for you, Dave. That's I'm going I'm I'm to reveal yeah. some details of the actual case that this was about, okay? So, American Murder, The Family Next Door covers the case of Shannon Watts, and uh, one day, her and her two children vanish. And her husband, uh, Chris Watts, is like, I don't know where my wife and kids are. Like, please, you know, he goes on TV. Yeah. He's like, please come Hands home. In his pockets. I don't know where my family let, is. Let, let me yeah. know. I know nothing about this. <laughs> let me guess. Let me just speculate wildly that old Chris Watts knows where the family is. <laughs> that is accurate, Jeff. That is accurate. So let me, let me say this. 
this movie is really interesting because no talking heads, no reenactments. The in, virtually the entire movie is just existing footage, right? Uh, a lot of it was body cam footage from police officers, which is really amazing because you don't see those often as part of the narrative of true crime documentaries. Um, and it's it just really it's just like showing you things as they unfolded. Half of the footage is like security camera, body cam footage, that kind of stuff. And the other half is uh, videos taken from Shannon Watts's Facebook page. This w- this woman put so much of her life online uh, that they were able to basically construct half of a documentary of her life just using her Facebook posts. Future uh, baby, that's it. In, in the future, there could be a documentary about every human being on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's it's. Really interesting construction. There's a lot of advantages to this construction, which is, first of all, I mean, the movie is like 83 minutes or something. It's very short. And I was never bored because there's this momentum of like you're kind of learning about the situation through like this, these like primary sources, this like real real time sources. Right. And so the, the, the documentary has this great momentum to it. It feels super authentic because you're using actual footage, obviously. Uh there's downsides to the approach too. One of them is when you have talking head interviews and stuff like that, you can dive more deep. Usually in true crime documentaries, you have other people commenting on that person's mindset, right? They'll be like, oh, so-and-so was thinking this at the time or so-and-so felt this at the time. And you don't get any of that in this movie. So you only have the primary sources to go on. It's a really interesting experiment. And I would recommend it, uh, like watching it just for that reason alone. It's like a really interestingly put together documentary. Um, just from these sources. Uh, the nature of the crime is really horrifying. And I'm just going to say, I don't think I'm going to be able to forget this, guys. I think I'm going to, this thing's going to haunt me for quite a while. Because uh, what happens in the documentary and what happened in real life, this case was like headlines all around the country. Uh, and what, what you find out happens is uh, that Chris Watts murdered his wife and two kids. So that he could run away with his mistress. And As one does. He murdered them and he lied about it for weeks. And you see all this footage of Chris Watts playing with his kids, being like a really good father. And then even in the aftermath, when his wife is vanished and like the police are there, they're questioning him. He seems like a totally normal guy. Like I was actually uh, the, the whole first time, first time I'm watching this, I'm like, uh, I have no idea if he actually did it. Maybe it's an unfortunate, they were kidnapped or something. I have no idea. But no, it turns out, he had murdered them and lied about it for months. And uh, it just, I'm just like, I can't, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Like the, the, these people, <laughs> these people, like there's people that just like look normal. They look completely like a loving father, loving husband. And inside there's something about them that just one day snaps. And, they murder people in like really cold blood, brutal fashion. And uh, I mean, I'm not going to describe the details of the crime because it's really horrifying. But either that or they were always a sociopath yeah, and just that, never acted on it. Sociopaths work is that they seem normal, but you maybe, never know what's maybe, actually going on. Yeah, maybe. But that's th- what's th- more he, scary but, to I, me. I, but I would argue, I would argue, yeah. I'd argue he's not a sociopath. Like he do, he seems like legitimately remorseful about the killings. Uh, it's just. He he was pushed to to he or no I, I, that that removes culpability from him. He felt like he was trapped. He was pushed into this outcome, and 
it's chilling. It's chilling because you like, I guess when you watch law and order and stuff like that, or even other true crime documentaries, you start thinking to yourself, Oh, like, I, I think I can like be pretty good at spotting a killer. You know, like I'm like maybe a, a B minus C plus, you know, like I could maybe some of the time, but then you see this guy, Chris Watts, like other people will say, Oh, well, I knew him all along. That's fine. Good for you. You're smart. But for me, I'm like watching this super loving father, you know, seems like a nice guy. And then one day just up and kills his wife and two kids. I, I'm not going to be able to forget about it. Like it's going to, this movie's going to haunt me for a long time because just that someone like that is capable of that. Anyway. <laughs> well, so, now you've yeah. haunted us too. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely not suggest you watch it, Jeff Kanata, as a father of two oh. children yourself. No, um, no need to uh, worry about that happening. <laughs> so anyway. That's American Murder, The Family Next Door. It's on uh, Netflix right now. Really interesting documentary. Uh, and I, I'd say, yeah, it, worth checking it out if you are interested in true crime. Just like uh, an interesting approach. I, I, it's rare I've seen anything like it before. So, uh, yeah, I would recommend it. I had a chance to finish Raised by Wolves Season 1 this week. Mm. Have any of you guys finished Raised by Wolves Season 1? No. I still have not. I'm, I'm What behind. episode are you on, Jeff? Gosh, uh, five, I think. I, I will not reveal any of the plot details of the final episodes of the season. I will just say that this is a show that began as one of my favorite shows of the year. And by the end, in my opinion, is completely off the rails, jump the shark, oh, no. bonkers, bonkers batshit. Like, oh, that's a bummer. I really feel like they lot like there's there's times when you're watching a show uh, whose story is unfolding in a way that you feel like the storytellers have lost control. Mm. And uh, that happened with Game of Thrones the last season, and it happened with this, the last two episodes of Raised by Wolf season one. Consistently one of the most visually interesting shows uh, on television. Consistently really, really good at world building until its last few episodes. And yeah, I just thought it just completely went spun wildly out of control uh and can't really talk about it because i don't want to give anything away but i was very disappointed by the ending and i'm i'm not looking forward to season two so that's where i am with with uh raised by wolves now i want to catch up just to have an opinion of my own but yeah i'm i'm really disappointed me wrong jeff prove me wrong i try every every episode every every moment of every episode is what you're Mm. trying to do yeah and finally, I uh, had a chance to finish off Lovecraft Country season one. Um, any nice. of you finish season one? I or have how, how not seen the, the finale yet, but I'm pretty caught up. Yeah. Otherwise. Uh, I did an in-depth discussion of this on my personal Patreon at patreon.com slash Dave Chen, but uh, it's a bit of a bumpy ride season one, I thought. Um, uh-huh. Definitely like more coherent than Raised by Wolves season one um so it's not like completely nonsense yeah. by the end um, it, it is a but, bit whiplash with lovecraft country right because you go from like the great great first episode to the terrible second episode then to it, it's all over the place but i do like a lot of the stuff in the middle it, it, it found a little bit more of its footing by the end yeah. yeah and i would say that the thing about lovecraft country is it's it's an anthology series Right, so like every episode's kind of like a monster of the week, but it also has this run- long season running through line about like what's happening with Tiki's ancestors and stuff like that. That long running season season wide story <laughs> arc is is very bad. Like it's yes. it's executed yes. very poorly. Yeah. Um, 
And everything that's not that is actually yeah. really well done. So like the monster of the week, introducing the new characters every week, uh, all that stuff is really good. And everything that is like what's going on with Tick's ancestors and the book of names and all that stuff is rough. It's very rough. And so the, the end of season one, I feel like the season was a pretty mixed bag. But it was consistently one of the most visually interesting shows on television. And yeah, yeah. there's some amazing body horror, amazing visual effects. Uh, and so ultimately, I still feel okay recommending it because it has some great stuff in it. It has mm-hmm. some great stuff in it. So, uh, Devendra, any, what, what episode are you on right now? I'd say the same. I mean, I'm I'm the one right before the finale. So I, I just see, didn't gotcha. get to catch up. Uh, but yeah, there is so much... I almost had written off the show completely because we talked about it again after episode two, which was just felt like a like bad, like an awful weird way to wrap up that storyline. But then they they definitely found their footing throughout the season. I think they got the show. The episodes got better as the show went on. So yeah, they they got a lot better. Although I think the pilot itself was super strong too. But yeah, it just seems like it's a show that always handled too much at once, and sometimes it all spins out of control and gets kind of crazy. But then. You know, th- there's some good stuff. There's the the episode set in Korea, which I think is really, really well done. There's kind Bold. of a time travel one. Yeah, there's there's so many great ideas, and also consistently, you know, a show that's dealing with you know the black experience in America, especially during an age where things were even worse. You know, so I, it doesn't shy away from that, and I respect it for that. Like it has a backbone where I think a lot of shows just are bad without actually saying anything. Yeah, well, that's Lovecraft Country Season 1. Uh, mixed bag, mixed bag, but still a lot to recommend. It. Jeff, is this something you think you're going to catch up with one day? I thought I was. Uh, episode 2, man, I, I was so it high really on the show. It really just threw you off the show. It just threw me off the show. And then there was all these other things to watch. I'm, I'm yeah. on to Fargo, and I'm on to these other things. And it's like uh, the idea of you. climbing back on that hour-long drama train is a little hard for me but yeah maybe. that's another thing too like the episodes are one hour each and yeah mm-hmm. the difference i was watching the first few episodes of raised by wolf some of those are like 40 to 44 minutes and it's just like honestly such a relief to watch a 44 minute hour of television sometimes i'm just like <laughs> oh man four like, minute hour yeah oh, you know man. what i mean like yeah, yeah I, I just i'm like yeah this is this is just so luxurious. I, I have yeah. time at the end. Oh, man. Time at the end to get up and go to the I bathroom. I could do before things, other things in my life than watch a show. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, my. That is kind of was... how I feel about um, that show, by the way. So I, I will not be catching up on Raised by Wolves, probably. Mm. That's too bad. There's some good stuff in it. There, anyway. I've seen the first couple of those. I'm, I'm good. I think I'm fine. Yeah. The first episode, I think, is... A- masterpiece yeah. Yeah. I love it's, really, it's really good it's really mm-hmm. good yeah all right well that's what we've been watching this week let's uh thank people who donated to our podcast via the conventional way on paypal thanks to new subscriber james soltis and thanks to new donors satakal kasa at worst editor ever on twitter marshall smith eric webster and jack g from atlanta georgia who writes uh i'm sorry jack g from atlanta georgia comma and also cody who writes as Dave can attest, I'm a longtime listener, but I've never taken uh, action to donate. Pitiful. Today, I finally hit that PayPal button to say thank you for all you do. You're absolutely wonderful humans and deeply talented storytellers. I can't overstate how much joy you bring to your listeners. And as our industry waxes and wanes, your distinct voices are more appreciated than ever. Thanks again. Oh, That's from thanks, Cody. Cody. He uh, is uh, works in the industry. 
uh, in the entertainment industry. So it's a very, very kind note from Cody. We also got a donation from the Slack Filmcast at slackfilmcast.com. It's a Slack group for people who are listeners of the Slack Filmcast. Slack Filmcast. Last week, we read an email from uh, Soren and Michelle, the first couple that we know of to ever have gotten married uh, who met because of their fandom of the Slack Filmcast. This week, we got a very significant donation from the Slack Filmcast, uh, a group of whom donated on behalf of Soren and Michelle, and they wrote in the following, this donation is made as a wedding gift for Michelle and Soren, who met through the Slack that David created for fans of the podcast. We couldn't be more excited when they announced that they were getting married and very honored that the Slack got invited to watch the live-streamed wedding ceremony and to join a Zoom call for celebrations afterwards. It was such a wonderful time, and we wish you all the happiness for your future together from your friends on the Slack Filmcast. So... That comes you know, they lovely. also, yeah. this is amazing. Yeah, they, they got is, a cameo, this, right? They got a cameo, this, too, right? Exactly. I was just about Aww. to say, they ordered a limerick for my cameo. The, the Slack film cast uh, as a cumulative group ordered one for Sorna and Michelle. So I was very pleased to uh, to do that one. It's one of my favorites that, that I've done because what a wonderful story, these two meeting because of our show, through the community of our show. It's, it's pretty special. And I'm so happy for the both of them. They seem very, very happy. Uh, living now in, I think, Brazil. No, Germany. Moved to Germany from Brazil, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, really glad that uh, that all came as a result of uh, of the Slack Filmcast. And uh, it's just, it's really heartwarming. Really heartwarming. It really is. All right, gents. Uh, Cody, who wrote in a donation uh, this week, also wrote in the following. I would like to offer up two cutdowns of your weekly plugs bumper with utmost respect and credit to Noah Ross, who did the original music. And Cody has given us two cutdowns of the weekly plugs bumper. Now, the weekly plugs bumper, I think, runs usually around 20 seconds, right? Uh, and he's given us two versions, one of which is eight seconds, one of which is five seconds, to, to see if we can shorten it down. So I'm going to play the weekly plugs bumpers for you and see what you guys think, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here's version one. Here we go. That's version one of the updated weekly plugs bumper. Yeah, yeah. Here's version two. This is five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that that they, one feels like an incomplete thought to me. Yeah, they yeah. they live up to the name of yeah. cut down. Cut down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for the one that's just the opening beat and just like bounce, yeah, chicka, bounce, chicka, weekly. <laughs> Maybe I I don't think I'm going to use number two, but I could see adding one to the rotation sometimes. Sure, sure, sure. So anyway, it's time for weekly plugs, a part of the show where we plug something we've been working on or that we support. I want to plug an episode of Culturally Relevant, which you can find at culturallyrelevantshow.com. I interviewed Richard Rushfield this week, who writes a very biting, acerbic newsletter called The Ankler. We talked about how Hollywood as we know it is coming to an end. It's the end of Hollywood as we know it. But we kind of feel fine. Actually, we don't. We actually feel terrible. But you can listen to that at culturallyrelevantshow.com or wherever your podcast can be downloaded. Just check out Culturally Relevant. That's my weekly plug. How about you, Devendra? Uh, yeah, we talked about the iPhone 12 and all, all the fun stuff Apple announced last week uh, on the Engadget podcast. So be sure to check that out. But I feel like my main recommendation this week is the thing I've been enjoying over the past couple of nights, which is Patrick Willems' uh, series on Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, you know, guest of the show, great YouTuber in general. Uh, I think this series is a great exploration 
of Coppola's career and kind of how he went from being just this like young genius who was winning all the awards and making these, you know, these incredible films to a guy who uh, just started experimenting. Like he, he, what he tried to build his own studio, right? He tried to buck the studio system. It failed. It was a complete disaster and he was never the same again. And it's just a really fascinating exploration because if you don't think about what happened to this guy, it's easy to think like, what did happen to Francis Ford Coppola? What the guy who made all the Godfather movies and some and apocalypse now, how did his career go the way it did? I think Patrick does a great job of kind of breaking it down. So it's worth watch and check it out on his YouTube channel. All right, man, I, I, uh, I got a chance to see Francis Ford Coppola in person and it was at an event. I can't remember where it must've been some video gaming event or some, I don't know, some event oh, I was at and he was debuting this thing with Val Kilmer. That was his new was it the, the mag- vampire thing. It was, I, I think it was vampires, but it was like the idea yeah. of it was that you construct yep. the movie yep. yourself on various uh, devices. You're talking about like, Comic-Con. It was yeah. a Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. That was Holy Twixt. hell. Twixt. What a, yeah. I, I remember at the time going, I can't be the only one yeah, here yeah. that would raise my hand in your meeting and go, this is a terrible idea. You know, like. But you, then he oh, says, I'm Francis Ford Coppola. Shut up. And I guess. keeps going, you know. I so guess, that's, but it, that's basically but you know, it. I, I turned out to be the one who was right in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that thing got released as like a movie. You can actually stream it now. But yeah, the idea was that you could yeah rearrange scenes of Twix or he would do it on like road shows of the movie or he something. He said it was like, it was know. like composing, he would compose yeah, the movie live yeah. like a musician. And it's just like, this is not a not good idea, Francis. <laughs> but Hey, Hey, well, if you want to know like more of how he got to that point, uh, check out yeah. Patrick series. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I've been doing commentary videos with Patrick on his videos on his oh, nice. uh, second channel too. So we'll be talking about that as well as reviewing Apocalypse Now, uh, Final Cut at some point. But uh, great, great series of videos. Jeff Kanata, what is your weekly plug? Well, I want to do two now as well. My first is uh, a new show. I think I mentioned once before here, a new show I'm doing a stream on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific. It's called The Fan Controlled Show. Actually, it's called The Show Formerly Known as The Fan Controlled Show. Why? Because fans control it. And so every week the fans decide on a new name for the show. And uh, last week we were called Jacob and the other guys because Jacob is the behind the scenes tech wizard that handles the streaming of the show. Uh, and uh, the, the fans decided that it should be called Jacob and the other guys. Uh, every week it'll be something new. And it is in support of the fan controlled football league, which will be launching in early February. But up until that time, uh, it's, a, it's a football league uh, headed up by... Uh, a bunch of luminaries, Mike Tyson, Richard Sherman, uh, Quavo, the rapper. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of really cool people involved, uh, including Greg Miller from Kind of Funny, who owns a team. And uh, you can, the fans decide on everything, every every single thing. They decide who the coach is. They decide who the players are. They decide on the draft of the players. They decide on the plays that are run. They decide on the logos of the teams, the t- team names, the jersey designs. Every single thing is controlled by fans. And it's a real football league with real elite athletes um, that's going to be playing games. And so we're, we're the official uh, podcast stream. You can find us on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash FCF, which stands for Fan Controlled Football. And I think that brings me to a great segue to the other thing I want to mention, which is vote, vote. 
Vote. Make a plan to vote. It feels really, really, really good to vote. You can vote right now in most states. I think all the states. Um, you can vote early. You can vote and make sure your vote mm -hmm. is counted. You can figure out how to do that. You can drop off your vote. If you're voting by mail, you can vote super early. You can track your ballot in a lot of states as well. Vote. Go to vote.org and find out exactly how to make a plan. I promise you, it feels really good to participate. Vote. Can, can I add something onto this, Jeff? Because another thing happening, I'm talking to people, people feel like they're powerless, right? That their vote doesn't matter, that they're not like really doing enough, even though it seems like things are pretty terrible right now. One thing that's really good you could do with several organizations or whatever campaign you're supporting is volunteer. Because mm -hmm. right now it is super, it's very easy. You can you, you sit through a Zoom trading and you can text on behalf of your candidate or choice or do phone calls or, um, yeah, that's pretty much the main thing. The door-to-door -door -door is not a great idea right now, but that's happening too. But I think you could do a lot of stuff from the comfort of your home while being safe during the pandemic. Um, you know, take some action because everything matters right now. Everything is on the line pretty much. Mm-hmm. Great plug, Jeff. Appreciate that. Vote uh, because this thing needs to be a blowout, guys. <laughs> Just put that out there. Um, yeah. So anyway, I hope everyone's voting. I, I would love, I, there's nothing that I would love to see more than uh, a record turnout. Like yep. if, mm -hmm. if we got, you know, we, it was about 60% of Americans voted in 2016. If we got to like 80%, it would be amazing it would be historic and it would be pretty special so yeah. i'd love do to see it, that folks you have the do power it. hey let me jump in and tell you about our sponsor quip when's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth that's right you can get rewards with quip's new smart electric toothbrush good habits can earn you great perks like free products gift cards and more how does it work well i'm glad you asked you probably heard us talk about quip a million times i know i have I love Quip. I am a three Quip family right now. Actually, I just got my fourth because the brand new smart electric toothbrush from Quip just arrived and it rewards me and my mouth. The Quip smart brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app via Bluetooth and tracks how well I brush. I get tips and coaching to improve my habits and I earn points for daily brushing. Bonus points for completing challenges like streaks. And then I can redeem those for rewards like free products, gift cards, and discounts from Quip and Quip's partners. I already had a Quip. I got a new one. But if you already have a Quip, you can upgrade it with a smart motor and keep all the features you know and love. Those sensitive sonic vibrations, the two-minute timer with 30-second pulses. I love all that stuff. And I've loved it for years now that I've been using my Quip. And they offer a complete oral hygiene routine, the mint or watermelon toothpaste with all those anti-cavity ingredients for strong, healthy teeth, the eco-friendly solar battery charger to power your Quip with sunshine. Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from five bucks and shipping is free. How smart is that? It's pretty amazing. So join over five million mouths who use Quip, including my own, and save hundreds compared to other Bluetooth brushes when you get a Quip smart brush for just 45 bucks. Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now 
to get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash filmcast. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash the word filmcast. F-L-I-M-C-A-S-T. Quip. Better oral health. Made simple and rewarding. All right. That brings us to our review of The Trial of Chicago 7. You know why you're on trial here? You all right? It was until I saw that. Martin's dead. Bobby's dead. Jesus is dead. They tried it peacefully. We gonna try something else. Rebels without a job. They're a threat to national security. This revolution, we may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Get out of the street! Get out of the street! When you came to Chicago, were you hoping to draw the police into a confrontation? I'm concerned you have to think about it. Give me a moment, would you, friend? I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. That was from the trailer of The Trial of Chicago 7, newest film written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. The story of seven people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising at the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, Illinois. Well, I think uh, Aaron Sorkin has had a bit of a mixed record, right? Um, He's made some amazing things that I really love and Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of. I'm thinking of, for me, specifically things like The West Wing. Uh, one of my favorite shows of all time. Devendra, you and I bonded originally uh, over Sports Night. One of the oh, first definitely. things sports we night. ever watched together. I love uh, Sports Night, man. That was a great yeah. show. Uh, and uh, I also like some of his movie work. You know, I uh, actually, despite not liking it and <laughs> and being resistant to it at first, like Steve Jobs has won Steve me Jobs, over. Steve Jobs, man. Steve Jobs won great. me over. I like Come it. Come on. You know, it, it has the same problems as all of Aaron Sorkin's other work, uh, which is, for instance, he writes women not that well sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh, but I like it. You know, Few Good Men, huge fan. Uh, I really enjoyed Molly's, Molly's Game. Molly's great, too. Yeah. yeah really enjoyed and Molly's Moneyball, Game. Moneyball just hit Netflix, and I think it was, like, tracking in in the top ten. Uh, Moneyball's a great movie. Underrated movie. I don't think it's underrated. It was rated pretty highly. But yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a definitely worth watching. That's one movie I wish I loved more because it's uh, I just don't care about the subject matter as much as some people. Yeah. <laughs> so mixed bag, but he's, he's, uh, he's done some great things. He's also done some like pretty cringy things. Um, I would say studio 60 on the sunset strip was <laughs> bad in my opinion. Yeah. Um, you, you, the words, the newsroom better not pass your lips right now, David. <laughs> I love Jeff, newsroom. You, love I, the new, you guys both like the newsroom. The, the newsroom is, a, it, I think, the concept is kind of terrible, and so much of it is an excuse for Aaron Sorkin to like basically rewrite history in his yes. way. But I, I do kind of love that show, just in terms so of much. I love the characters and uh, the stakes of what they built with it. But yeah, it is very much an Aaron Sorkin show, and maybe that was the start of his like his new his new sequence of of events. Like now he's directing, now he's doing things differently. Well. We, so, no, so we've listed. Mm-hmm. I don't. What, yeah. what is the? 
You you started out this by saying Aaron Sorkin so uneven, so uneven. Oh, we can all agree, <laughs> so uneven. And then we've listed everything he's done in the positive column. What is yeah. the what's the except for Studio well, Sixty? Is that was the only uh, uneven one? Well, I would say Studio Sixty. Newsroom, newsroom is. I think Newsroom is like sure. bad as well. So I don't agree uh, with you there. Yeah. Okay. And I think Molly's Game is a hit or miss movie. Like they're, yeah, they're some, some, so good. Yeah. Some people. Yeah. Look, Jeff, you you and I. Okay, so overall. We on the Slash Filmcast like more of Aaron Sorkin stuff than we dislike, sure. right? So we're we're pretty uh, big fans overall. Divinior Hardwar, uh, I think we all had high expectations of The Trial of Chicago 7. What'd you think of it? Uh, huh. Do you guys watch Bob's Burgers? Because I just feel like uh, the character who's just like, uh, all the time. Um, this feels like an Aaron Sorkin version of, you know, a, a major event from the 60s. It feels like Aaron Sorkin kind of rewriting history in his way, similar to the newsroom. But um, let me just say, like, since I've started watching Alan Sorkin, uh, Aaron Sorkin's stuff, and since I, uh, I think at first with like Sports Night and West Wing and everything, I was wowed by his sense of character and his sense of dialogue and everything. But since then, you know, I, I do think a little more differently, I guess, about the way politics is portrayed. And his idea, his like fairy tale version of liberalism is a weird thing to watch now. Um, so seeing him basically tell the story, which is about people who are resisting the Vietnam war in a very, in a very like public way, really putting themselves on the line. This is a movie about revolution and resistance. And I don't think I, that's what the story is about, but the movie feels like it is just the Aaron Sorkin Hollywood version of that it feels watered down it feels weak i don't think it's a bad movie and i can see why so many people enjoy it but there's so many things in this movie that really really just make me roll my eyes i think um i alluded to the opening earlier which um has a for some reason probably the worst daniel pemberton score i've ever heard but the just this really jaunty orchestrated um orchestral music over you know, major historical events, which include the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., um, the assassination of JFK. There are so many weird things in this movie that just feel RFK, like, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but very, very bad directorial choices or stylistic choices. I think most of the actors are woefully miscast. Just so distracting. Eddie Redmayne in this movie, I cannot. I cannot buy, I, I, I can barely buy him as an American, I think. Like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just his cheekbones and just like his, his like beautiful, beautiful looks. But he, he feels like he's in a wrong movie. Jeremy Strong is doing something in this movie that feels like Tommy Chong meets Garth from Wayne's World. It is not working for me. There's, there's a lot of little bits of things like this of just like the performance is not quite gelling. I think the script is all right, but the, what it really comes down to is that this movie just feels like, yeah, it is the Hollywood version of the story in the way that it also, um, I don't think it does justice to, to the story or to the characters. Uh, in particular, this is something I tweeted, but the way this movie treats, um, just look up uh, Bobby Seal. Is that what you're thinking? Bobby Seal. Yeah. I'm Bobby Seal right now. That's what I'm looking up right now. Um, the way and this gets into spoilers, so I don't know how much we care, but they one of the one of the biggest, you know, things history remembers from this trial is the fact that Bobby Seal was bound and gagged by the judge because, you know, the judge thought he was being disruptive because he was speaking up for himself and, you know, t basically 
uh, I, I don't know, just like deal, messing up the rhythm of the court and the judge didn't like it. And there were a lot of racial undertones with that. In this movie, the scene where that happens, um, we see glimpses of the cops beating up Bobby Seal uh, very quickly. And then we see Bobby Seal sitting in court and it looks bad, but it seems it, within five to 10 minutes, that situation is resolved. Bobby Seal sat in court for days, days bound and gagged. Three days, and in fact. Yeah. And it seems strange to me that Aaron Sorkin simplified that in a way for to tell a better story to him. Whereas I think the real story here, the real like story of revolution is that this guy, you know, went through all this um, fighting against the war the way he did. To me, just telling the, the actual reality is more dramatic. That's a better story. And I just feel that way about so much in this movie. And I think we'll, we'll talk about the ending too, but the way the music swells at the end, the way the like title cards come or the cards that tell us like what, what happened to every character, it felt so weird and schmaltzy in a way that this story didn't quite like, it seemed like it deserved more than that. I feel like this movie needed somebody who had kind of a revolutionary spirit to tell the story, um, maybe like a Spike Lee, uh, somebody who I, I think could do more justice to this story. And I don't feel like it was done very well. So that's me. I, I think I'm just so annoyed about certain aspects of it. It's not a bad movie, but it does seem like it woefully undersells uh, this story and these characters. Jeff Kanata? Well, I guess my thoughts about this movie are best summed up in the form of a limerick, Dave. Wow, putting the Dave at the end there. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's Aaron Sorkin, so of course it's great. But what you learn about 1968 is the people in power want us to cower. Ain't nothing changes but the date. Mm. The more things change, the more they stay the same, huh, Jeff? I I disagree with uh, virtually everything Davinci just said. I, I mean, the movie really worked for me, and it worked for me because it's about now. It's about today. Uh, and it fucking sucks that it's about today. <laughs> I mean, it is ab- about this trial, and from what I understand, Sorkin used quite a bit of actual transcript from the trial. Uh, obviously, he has his his dialogue moments and they are what I come for. Right. I, they are, they are, I mean, I love Aaron Sorkin. I love, I, there's no screenwriter alive that I am more in awe of. And I'm just a fan of language and the use of language. And I've said it many times before, but I will say it again. I think Aaron Sorkin writes action sequences with words, right? He, he, he writes an, a scene that is basically a the the climactic battle sequence but it's it's a turn of phrase instead of an explosion right it's a instead of a car chase it's a brilliantly constructed thesis statement and i am so there for that <laughs> that is my dream like it, it is it is you know the, the most eloquent people the smartest people working at the top of their game all the time and i love that i love watching it i love being around it i love expression of it and so yes perhaps uh this can feel a bit pat because everyone seems to say the perfect thing at the perfect time but to me that is 
in much the way Steve Jobs movie was that is sort of distilling down the, the feelings and thoughts and moments into something more pure. It is getting at the heart of what is being expressed and what happened by saying it in the most efficient and eloquent way. And I, I just, I love that. I love it. And I, I totally understand if it doesn't work for others or if it feels too, too perfect, too packaged or too, um, you know, the words you, you are. You can see the artifice in this movie. I feel like that's the main thing is that we've, you know, he's been packaging these stories for so long and now we can see like, oh, we know why he chose this particular actor or why, you know, why the music is swelling at this moment. To me, it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel organic in a way. It feels like a packaged Aaron Sorkin story, sort of like the thing. Uh, what was it? The the movie preview that we had seen in that movie. Uh, you could just. Are you skip, talking skip about? Right um, no, you're talking about the uh, the um, Robert Zemeckis takedown yes, in the, the Zemeckis in, takedown. Yeah, that's what it uh, feels like. And the end of this movie is literally that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't mind someone standing up and reading. 215,000 American names that are dead because of COVID right now. I, I, I certainly wouldn't mind that. Um, I, th- I think it is, uh, to me, the movie worked. I, I, the, the cast is extraordinary. I, I really hadn't looked up all the people that were in it. So each new person that came up, I was like, that is one of my favorite actors of all time. Mark Rylance is stunning in this. I I'm a huge fan of Mark Rylance. And then Michael Keaton shows up and you're like, fucking Michael fucking Keaton's in this movie. Holy shit. Um, and, you know, it, I, I think it educates, uh, hopefully, a, a generation of people about this. It certainly educated me in, in aspects of it that I wasn't aware of, got me inspired to look it up and read more about it. And because the reason for that is because it is absolutely applicable to what we are going through today. It is absolutely a- applicable to the, the chambers of power, uh, exerting their will and young people who are sick of it and see people dying in the streets, dying overseas in this case, uh, stand up and say, we have to have our voices heard. We have to be heard here and we have to figure out some way to make our case to the halls of power. And I mean, this movie is about all the ways that power can be exerted to silence those voices and to minimize those voices. And we see that on the news every fucking day of 2020. It is it is a direct one to one. And, you you know, I, I kept thinking through this movie like, man, if Twitter was around in 1968, I wonder if everybody would be saying how wild 2020 is yeah i mean i understand what 2020 is pretty wild i'm not diminishing that but holy shit yeah i mean you you talk about how this movie starts and the 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 dominoes of events that lead to it and all of the chaos and insanity and yeah all of us have to stay home and wear masks and not go out and and try to save one another but Everyone you know that's under 30 years old isn't wondering if they're being shipped overseas to die. Like, that's pretty fucking insane, too. And it it really put into perspective this reality that we're living in now that seems so surreal. You know, it it was ever thus. It was ever thus because it is the halls of power uh, 
exerting their will and doing things. And, and I was stirred by this movie. I was moved by this movie. I, I was motivated. And I think the ways the movie wants it, you to be motivated and, and the way the characters depicted, I think hoped people would be motivated. And, uh, I think the reason for that is because everyone in it speaks their case in an eloquent way, in an Aaron Sorkin, kind of wistful, hopeful way. And I am, I am down for that, man. I, there are very few Aaron Sorkin scripts I've ever seen that haven't moved me to tears. And it's not because they're sad. It's because they're so powerful and hopeful. And this idea that there is this, this virtue that we can strive for, uh, that is something that I need to hear more and more now. And uh, I, I think this movie is, was a success and I really, really loved it. Uh, I, first of all, I think we should just go full, like, we, we should just be spoilers yeah, at this point. Yeah. I'll put a little note at the beginning of the episode being like, we already, I think we've already given away some things. So, um, appreciate that defense of the film, Jeff. Uh, I fall somewhere between you two. So yeah, we're, we're in spoiler territory at this point, but I'll say that, uh, I think that, um, I really enjoyed this movie as well. I, I had a great time with it. Uh, I thought it had one of the worst movie endings I've seen in the last year. Yeah. Uh, thought that was just god awful. But everything leading up to that point, I was really, really inspired by. I agree that it's quite relevant for everything that we're going through this this year. And I've been trying to think about like what it is Aaron Sorkin is trying to say about our society with his movies and with his work in general. And. I think what we see with shows like The West Wing and with movies like this and even with movies like Molly's Game is that the institutions of the state can often be turned towards its like against its citizens in really unfair ways. So he is not idealistic about institutions because we see here mm-hmm. fairly terrifying acts of police brutality. We see uh, probably one of the most unflattering depictions of a judge that I've ever seen in a film. And By so all he's accounts, not, pretty accurate, <laughs> evidently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and he, But he's not like, oh man, remember when judges were honorable? Remember when we could trust the police? He's not like that, right? That's not what this movie's about. Um, so he's not he's not nostalgic about or, or optimistic or uh, ho- like naive about these institutions of state. What he does believe in is the power of the individual to change things, right? That if people stand up and do what is right, that uh, they can effect change, that they can stand against the institution uh, that is trying to destroy them and they will be triumphant. And I do think that's like a valuable message. I also think that one of the other things about this movie that's interesting that diverges relatively in a, in a big way from some of his other films is Aaron Sorkin, despite being a liberal, in my opinion, is very conservative. Uh, and sure. what I mean by that is, you know, check out the newsroom, check out the West wing, right? It's all about like, Hey, remember when there was like, you know, white dudes that could just tell us what the news was. And it was, it was like cool. And that was like, that was better than what it is today. You know, uh, just going off the few episodes of the newsroom. I watched this season. One, um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I, I would defy you to dispute that characterization of what that show. No, is. no. Um, 
but uh, a liberal so, so, who, the, who is kind of conservative. So like he he is very centrist in his views, and that's perfectly right, he, fine. He, he but wants I think it we're to seeing the limits of that. Yeah. What I sense is in general, he quote unquote wants things to go back to the way things were in yeah. general. Like yeah. that is an undercurrent through much of his work. But this is the first film I've seen that really market, markedly um, deviates from that, right? Where I would argue that uh, the two main characters, or really the, the movie becomes about the conflict between Tom Hayden and uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's character. Um, what's his name? Abby Hoffman, uh, yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen's character. Abby Hoffman. In, Abby, Hoffman. Uh, Abby Hoffman, right. So those two, which, who, by the way, Sasha Baron Cohen is like pushing 50, I think, and Abby Hoffman was like in his 30s when the movie came out. So there's a little bit of an interesting age cast, age differential there. But anyway, it, it's about those two characters, but they're both presented as, uh, not equally, but like they're both presented as uh, plausible or viable paths to take. Um, when you're fighting for progressive politics, in my opinion. And that, in my opinion, is like a big change. Because in a previous, in like a 10 years ago, Aaron Sorkin movie, right. the Abby Hoffman character would have been like purely a source for ridicule, source like a object of ridicule, I think. Um, and I don't think that's the case in this movie. So I don't, know, I don't know if I agree with this assessment that he's been an advocate for going back to some sort of previous generation. I think he's an advocate for competence. I, I've always read it as um, uh, passionately pro-competent uh, and and uh, people who are serious and take their responsibilities seriously. Um, I mean, Jeff Daniels' character in the newsroom is a conservative, right? Is a is a mm-hmm. is a right wing dude, but he he stands up for. American values because he is so uncompromisingly uh, good at what he does like that. I think that is to me, that's what has always been so um, stirring about Aaron Sorkin's work is that he's just enamored with people who are really fucking good at what they do. I, I think that's why he was drawn to sure, Steve Jobs. Sure. I'm, I'm going to say, I think we're both right, Jeff. You know, I yeah. was reading Emily Vanderwerf, uh, her newsletter today, and she wrote the following about Aaron Sorkin. He, she says, Sorkin's blend of screwball pizzazz, showbiz savvy, and romantic idealism feels straight out of a Frank Capra movie, but he's always trying to talk about what's important right now. That's why the West Wing and the social network hit the zeitgeist so dead on. They were once modern and deeply traditional, the sorts of things that could be enjoyed equally by people from all sorts of ages and walks of life. But Sorkin's art is rooted in a fundamentally myopic view of the world, and his own worldview might be just as myopic. In Aaron Sorkin's world, the system is more or less okay, and the only thing that's wrong with everything is that we no longer listen to the people who know how to run that system. If we just step back and listen to the elites who used to make things hum, well, wouldn't we be a whole lot happier? End quote. Yep. I, I don't, that, that strikes me as pretty dead on, you know? Um, and that, that, and that, I think that overlaps with what you're saying as well, which is like, why aren't we just listening to the smart people? You know, like, we should be listening to the smart people who know things. And often those smart people who know things are the people that used to run things is what I'm is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's but, it's it's a trap in the way that you get stuck thinking that competence, like you're saying, Jeff, is like, oh, that is the only way we could do things. Because I think back to how much like Josh Lyman makes fun of, uh, you know, um, anybody, uh, the eco warriors in the West Wing or anybody like who is slightly more progressive than him. I just think back to things like that. This movie, like it's. I want to feel these things you're feeling, Jeff, but I can see 
it's like I can see the stage play that they set up for, you know, the West Wing reunion. I can see how all these pieces put together. I can see why you set, you know, you, you, this movie stars Eddie Redmayne as like the, the guy who's trying to work within the system to affect change and why you get freaking Borat as the hippie who has a completely opposite view. I just feel like a lot of this, like the script is probably stronger than the way it was put together. I'm thinking of like what works so well about the social network is Aaron Sorkin's insight and his dialogue and the way he sets, you know, these, these sharp verbal battles together, but also that movie was, you know, put together by a master in another way. Like it was directed by David Fincher and he understands how to tell these stories in a, in a very different way too. Like, I feel like throughout this entire movie, I was waiting for it to begin throughout the first hour of this movie. I was, I I kept checking my watch because it almost felt like, I don't know when this movie is actually going to get going in the way like an Aaron Sorkin story does. So it just kind of felt like, even though the script had a certain amount of momentum, I don't think direct, the direction did or the actual like, you know, the setup of the story or anything did either. I mean, I, I disagree with most of that as well. You know, I, I probably joined Jeff in his disagreement of that. Where, what I will agree with you about, uh, I don't even know if you're saying this actually, but what, what I will yeah. say I think is a problem with the movie is like, first of all, I think it gets started really early on. You're like 15 minutes in, you're already at the court trial. So I think it, it I, I yeah. felt the momentum for sure. I think that the biggest problem with the movie is because it is a trial of Chicago 7, technically 8 if you count Bobby Seale, yep. the movie is just all over the place in terms of who is, whose perspective it's focusing on. It's it, the, When the movie begins, it starts from Joseph Gordon-Levitt's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, we're going to learn Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Richard Schultz. We're gonna, this movie is going to be about him and how he's like, he starts as like a very... Um, a uh, conservative kind of government loyal, uh, you know, loyal to the government kind of guy. And then he realizes like how the thing he's doing is really shitty and he comes around. And then like 10 minutes later, his perspective is completely dropped. And like, we, yeah. ne- we basically never come back to it until the end. Um, and it's really just a function of the fact that I think he really tried to give each person in the story a little bit of screen time, a little bit of an arc, and as a result of all of the number of characters and wanting to keep it at like seven characters, plus the people they know, plus the lawyers, it really does end up, I think, shortchanging almost all the characters. Um, and and so I felt like it was a little bit all over the place, unfortunately, just because of how ambitious it was. But I didn't feel the way you felt about it, Devendra. I felt like it was still had a lot of momentum. Um, and I, I, I hugely enjoyed watching it. Uh, I had a great time with it and I was riveted. And I thought the cast was overall great. The accents were terrible, in my opinion. Um, but like Sasha Baron Cohen's accent is just, and also Jeremy Strong playing the hippie. I never. I felt don't like, know what Jeremy Strong I, is doing. I never here. felt like that's Jerry Rubin. I felt like that's Jeremy Strong doing a hippie accent. But Jeff, what do you? Think? Jeremy Strong doing Tommy Chong, basically. But yeah. Uh, Jeremy Strong was fine. I agree that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen really was trying to lay on that Chicago uh, thing. And, Every time we talk about the pack, it was a Bostonian accent, I believe. Oh, whatever. Every time we talk about, yeah, he's from Worcester. He's from Worcester. That's what he said. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I wasn't uh, impressed with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's accent work, but it didn't distract me from enjoying the the movie. And I thought his performance was fine. I thought his performance was was great. I mean, I he he brought that sort of um, uh, you know uh, unpredictable kind of gleam in the eye. Uh, to 
which uh, Abby Hoffman seemed to have, right? He was this, he was a, um, a wild card that you never knew what he was, what he was going to do. And there are some wonderful flourishes that happen where the, the movie is describing an event from three different perspectives at once. One with Abby Hoffman on stage, kind of doing a stand-up routine, recounting what happens one, you know, in the context of the courtroom and, and another, you know, it, f- with actual flashback footage, it was, I don't know. I, I, I thought the movie, I thought the movie, I, I felt like I was shot out of a cannon watching this movie and it breezed by, by the time it ended, I agree with you guys. The ending feels abrupt, but only because I could have watched five more hours of it. I was just like, keep me in this room with these people and let me, I want to know how this all goes. And it was wild. I mean, I know the trial was, you know, six months long, but you're in this movie and it's like, you know, you, you just got to the courtroom and it's like day 47. You're like, what? Day 47. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I wanted more, more, more. I just, I just ate it up. I thought it was fantastic. And I just and, was and so relevant were today. Were you really a fan of the ending, Jeff? Like, did you really think that was good? I'm just curious. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was a little unsatisfying because, um, it, it attempted to come to a positive conclusion, uh, that they actually, it actually, you know, moved the needle by doing that rather than, you know, it's kind of a difficult thing because the truth of what happened is pretty unsatisfying from a movie perspective, which is Mm -hmm. they all got five years, except those other two dudes and uh and then it went to appeal and it never was retried in appeals and they all you know it was fine so that the truth of that the fact of that is kind of hard to dramatize right. so i i yeah the, the victory being they got out on appeal it's like not super satisfying not even not even that. not even like there was an appeal trial that they won right. or a settlement that they won they literally the prosecutors just declined to retry it at appeal right yeah. they just they declined to bring the charges. Uh, so that's a hard thing to make a triumphant ending of a movie moment. But I, I will say that the idea of reading out the names, you know, thousands of names in court, I didn't, I did not like the camera pulling back and Frank Langella, like miming the, well, I will pound. have order in this courtroom. <laughs> yeah, order. I know that, that was a little, that was a little the, overly theatrical, even for, for me who loves theatricality. But, um, it, it it just, didn't, I didn't mar I, I the movie we had, for me. I, I thought we had stopped. Like s- slow clapping is something we have been making fun of as a society for years. So it's just the idea of like this guy did something and then people like slow clap their way into the full plot. It just is like this is awful. It, it just is, yeah. I was stunned that it it was in the same movie as everything I had seen previously. Which overall I thought as as with as with you, Jeff, I thought had been very skillful. Um, so it was just a very sour note to end an otherwise solid movie that I would recommend to people. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean, I, I, I was more, um, objecting to its abruptness of like, we were on, I felt like I was on this freight train and then all of a sudden the movie's over and uh, there wasn't any real sort of satisfying conclusion there, but you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of a cynical thing to point out that, oh, you know, we've been slow clapping. I, that, that to me wasn't as heinous a uh move as it seems to be to you guys you're you're still secretly a fan of the slow clap is what i'm hearing yeah i think that's what this really like a good slow clap a a, an earned slow clap yeah i felt it was earned i felt that moment was i didn't i didn't enjoy i did not enjoy the the long pullback 
camera shot because Frank Langella clearly was told like keep banging that keep gavel going. for five <laughs> full minutes and he just he, like you could see him sort of give up halfway yeah. through you know uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah I, I'm glad you liked it Jeff I, I, I figured you might because uh, I think you like idealistic things um, I do I do and as I an, watch as... you know and I watch uh, American Murder the Family Next Door you know so we like you different know, things to each his own to each yeah. his own I mean I like the movie quite a lot as well I definitely liked it more than Devendra um, and I do think it's very prescient. I do think it's it's good to know. It, it, it is a good reminder that uh, many of the battles that uh, are being fought today were fought previously as well, um, and that uh, the American justice system can be incredibly racist. You know, and that's something that I think is not worth- just racist, dude. Not just. Ra- I mean, yes, but also it, it wants to hold on to power. It wants to preserve its own power. And part of that is ensuring racism so that other people, other kinds of people, other groups of people can't grasp at its power. But it is equally as dismissive and destructive to, to, you know, white males that want to disrupt the system or uh, are a threat to its power. The systems. Uh, I'm going to agree, 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 agree with every would, word there except yeah. equally, Jeff. I would not yes. say well, equally, Jeff. Okay. Like, listen, like Bobby Seale, I, we see uh, him. We see right. him get bound and gagged in the movie. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character has his moral fiber moment where he gets to be the one who comes in and basically helps to save the guy uh, because he does not agree to this. Which I don't. I don't know if that's actually how that went down, but. Then he's out and we never hear from him again. You know, we don't hear from the Black Panthers really like we see a bit afterwards, but not not really much. Like for me, this is like this is the problem of idealizing politics right now, or at least the way Aaron Sorkin does it, where it's like it is the smart white guys who will come and save the day and figure it all out. And I don't it's not that simple. Look at the news this year. It is not that simple. And I feel like this is a movie that is made to appeal to everybody who looked at the Black Lives Matter marches and were more worried about the property damage than the message that was actually being shown and that people were actually trying to convey. I don't think this movie understands that. That's why I don't think this movie, it has elements of what's going on today, but it definitely feels like a movie that was conceived last year before you know everything erupted the way it did this year. That's all. So it it doesn't feel like the movie of the moment. It feels like the movie of several years ago to me. Uh, glad you enjoyed it, Jeff. I just I, well, I well, want something I more. I, mean, I want something. It's more. a pretty vicious charge to level at it. I, I and I'm I'm not personally offended by it. I'm just uh, surprised to hear. I, I, don't, I don't understand what the, that the movie is. Uh, it seems it like a movie made, made for people that that were that were more worried about the property damage than like I don't know what what part of the movie gives you that impression what, what? well i think the way like the thing i just described if even simplifying the bobby seal story but also it the coalition of people we see involved in these protests are not people of color really it's it uses the black it uses the black panthers kind of as props early on but doesn't really go into their side of the story or what's actually being told so no to me it feels too pat and i think the ending I was not shocked by the ending because to me, the ending felt like, well, this is this is exactly what is going to happen in this movie, because I don't think this movie started off well. And I don't think 
I think so much of the way it was constructed, you know, uh, as they were trying to like lead up through the trial and do everything, I don't feel like it was well told. That's all. Like, I, I don't, I am just not satisfied with it. So it's not a personal thing. It's just, I feel like this is a movie that feels like a story that should have been told by somebody who is maybe a little more pointed in their commentary rather than the guy that's trying to argue for, you know, let's, let's get everything back to normal and then we'll be all right. All right. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Um, I personally see valid points in both of what you guys are saying. So, um, I appreciate the dialogue and uh, the trial of Chicago seven, I think is worth checking out. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the podcast. Find more episodes at slash filmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarlock.com. Our spoiler river comes from filmmaker uh, Kyle Hillinger. Check out his YouTube channel. Uh, our uh, weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross with derivatives from other people like Thomas Medina, as well as Cody Vandenberg this week. And this episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Next week, we'll be reviewing another Sasha Baron Cohen movie, uh, Borat 2. Borat 2. This uh, is the one where he does the Chicago accent. Yeah, I got Borat that right. Subse- yes. The, the, the <laughs> yes. short version of it is Borat subsequent movie film. So that's what we'll be referring to it, Borat subsequent movie film. But that's what is in t- on store uh, for next week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. So we will see you next week. <laughs>